moment. Let me just update you for a second on what we're doing in a couple of messages. This is not how we're spending our whole summer, but we are spending a few weeks this summer addressing what I'm, I'm calling hot topics. And hot topics are issues that are touching our lives, whether we want them to touch our lives or not. These are issues that are in our our culture, they're in our surroundings, they affect the way we think, they affect the way we feel, they affect the way we interpret God. When you, when you study anything about historic theology, you will find that the settings of that history created certain arguments that theologically had to be fought over and clarity had to be brought. It's not as though God changed from year to year or season to season. People changed. Life changed. Things that mattered seemed to change. And so it created people staring at God and saying, hmm, apparently God is not the way we thought he was. Apparently he's different. And some of that was, wouldn't we like God to be different? Wouldn't you guys, I mean, you don't have to raise your hands on this. You might get struck by lightning if you do. But wouldn't you like God to be different in some ways? And if if you don't say yes to that, you are such a liar. Now, when I say it to you that way, you realize it's like, well, that's a dumb thing. But daily, right? Isn't that what we're fighting for daily? It's like, God, why can't you be like this? Why can't you make life like this? Why can't you think like this and prioritize like this? Well, that creates a sense of man arguing with God, and then those situations have to be spoken into. Well, that's what hot topics are. Hot topics are issues that have become noisy little issues and sound bites in our hearts and in our lives and all around us. And, and we need to give heed to them because they're affecting how we live. And I want to direct your attention here to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for just a moment. Last week we talked about learning to hear God prophetically. And that, that's, that's probably a loaded concept of, of using that term that way. I realize that. But I, I just want to highlight the fact that there are moments in Scripture where the way in which God speaks to us is to locate us and then speak to us right where we are. That's not always how the Bible is speaking to us. Sometimes the Bible is just trying to reveal things to us. It's just trying to get us as an audience to look at something about God or look at something that he's done and, and for us to live our lives and be affected by that. But there are moments in which God puts his foot into our trouble into our moment, into our need, into what theologians call our occasion. And then God begins to speak because that occasion needs something, right? How many of you guys recognize you needed something different to get married than you did to get your first Tonka truck at six or whatever when you got it, right? Just the, the occasion of the moment is very different. You need something different to go uh, sell everything you own and move to the mission field than you do just to decide about a summer job this summer, right? You, your occasion in life is different. And God needs to speak into that moment differently. And he does, right? Deuteronomy provides us with an interesting occasion into which God speaks. And I want to use this as a, a sense of entering the land because that's what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is written in a moment when the, the people of God have finally, they've wandered, they've done their wandering thing in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember that? Now they've all gathered together on the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River, and they're about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. So this is the occasion of this moment. 
And by the time we get to Deuteronomy, right, you've already had Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then the last of the Pentateuch of Moses' writings is Deuteronomy. That, that, that word Deuteronomy means the second law. It's called that because it's, it's not a different law than the first law. It's the second giving of the law. And so there is, there's something about to happen in these passages that I want us to, to install three words in our lives that can never go away. They are critically important. I think I put them in your outline. But the need for God to speak to us in categories of reminders, wisdom, and warnings. You need to hear God in a way that he is sounding like he's reminding you of something. He is giving you wisdom for something, and he is warning you about something. When you read the Bible, when you climb into your prayer closet and you let God put his foot down in your world, do you let him go into those categories? Do you let God remind you about something? When was the last time God did remind you about something? about your life, about the purpose of your life, the call in your life? When was the last time you gained a sense of wisdom from God for wherever you're living your life right now, whether it's Tonka truck or getting married or wherever you are, you might need some wisdom about that. And how many of you know you might need some warnings about where you are in the occasion of your life right now? Well, God sounds that way, and he he sounds that way in these passages. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verse 3, remember this is, this is the word that the prophets feature. It's the word hear. We looked at last week. Verse 3 says, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. Right? They're about to enter into the land. What is God's concern for them? I want it to go well for you. I've got a purpose and a plan in mind for your life. And I want it to go well for you as you enter into this land. That you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. So God is trying to get their attention, installing some hearing. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, it's loaded with little ideas, kind of like over in verse 10 there. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So there's a little bit of a reminder here. You're on your way into the land. Well, how did this come up? Well, let me remind you, it's been my purpose to bring you into a land of promise. And I promised your forefathers that I would do it. So I'm reminding you about who you are on your way into the land. You're my people. You belong to me. You're a special people chosen for a special purpose in all the world. And you're going into the land. Reminder. going into this land, I promise to your fathers, with this land has great and good cities that you did not build. Now you're about to get a taste of wisdom and warning. You're going into a land flowing with milk and honey, great, impressive, good cities that you didn't build, houses full of all good things. These are interesting words, aren't they? Because these things become snares to them. But God's perspective is that the things aren't wrong. These are good things. That you did not fill cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take 
care, right? Now, that's a warning word, isn't it? Take care. Be careful. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, on this occasion, there was a large gathering of your people. And you chose to reveal Deuteronomy to them in that moment. They, they didn't have the luxury of thinking, well, that's an interesting message for those people way back when. You gathered them together. They were the audience. You were speaking. And you were reminding them about who they were. You were giving them wisdom for the land into which they were about to enter. And you were warning them that they were in danger when they entered this land of forgetting you. Or this was not a message for them that they could locate in some forefather category. Isn't it great that God spoke that to Abraham? Or you were speaking to them. Well, Lord, we have need today to hear you speak to us. We cannot afford to dismiss these passages as though they only pertain to these folks way back when. Lord, you are speaking to us today. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us in the land in which we are entering. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of the warning for this group going into the land of Deuteronomy was it's a good land with lots of stuff. It's going to, be, it's going to capture your attention. It's a land of milk and honey. It's a land where there's all kinds of people there. Oh, oh and by the way, uh, you're going to be very tempted when you get into the land. You're going to be tempted to give your sons and daughters to their sons and daughters in marriage. Let me just warn you, don't do that. Don't do that because it will backfire in your face. Don't do that because you don't have the wherewithal to join yourself to these people. And if you do join yourself to these people that way, they will win. Let me just warn you about that. Isn't it interesting that God says that to his own people? Don't do that. So there's a need for wisdom and warning and reminders when we enter into the things that even that God has ordained for us, whatever it may be. And listen, that's not just some Old Testament sounding, sober-minded, haggai, prophet-type intrusion into our lives. God still sounds this way. When he speaks to us, right? When I open up the passages in the New Testament there, your outline, Romans chapter 12, tells modern New Testament Christians, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? you Church, you're going to have a little challenge here in the land in which you live, figuring out what's good and acceptable and perfect. Do you recognize that about yourself? It's wisdom and warning. You're going to engage life, and along the way, living in the land that God called you to live in, you're going to have a hard time discerning what's good and acceptable and perfect. Promise you, guarantee. And the temptation will be you be conformed to this world. So there's wisdom and warning for us. 1 John 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's an interesting thought to unpack. For all that's in the world, 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. The world has created a means of doing life. It features the desires of the flesh. It features the desires of the eyes. It features the pride of who you've become, what you own, and your status. It features that. The world speaks that language. And God highlights that for his people. He doesn't say, this is why I've called you to live in Tibet in the corner of the universe, away from everybody. Don't get near these people. God is telling them that on the way into the land. I'm sending you into this land. Be informed on your way in. There are landmines everywhere. Well, then God wouldn't just be smarter for us not to go into the land so none of us get blown up. No, I've got a purpose in this land, and you are part of that purpose. You're going to reveal me into that land. That land is about to tell the story of my redemption through your lives. So you must go into that land. Listen, the, the, the people who read, there's a group of Christians who read Deuteronomy 6 as though it's prohibiting the land. It's not prohibiting the land. It's warning you on the way into the land. And if you don't have a category for that, you're going to create a really weird Christianity. There is a, a temptation to say, if, well, if these things are problems, then, then we should just aim our car in the other direction and, and live on the other side of the planet from those things. But, but the problem is, God is redemptively revealing himself into a fallen world culture. So when God says there's problems in the world, his remedy is not to take you out of the world. He will do that one day, but he has not done it. Hence, you're here this morning. So you still have a purpose in this world. But be wise and be warned and be reminded while you spend your time in this world. Because this world's got some hot topic issues going on in it. And you're going to need to be aware and, and know how to respond to them. Right, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll come back to this verse. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So there are people with brains that are operating right now, generating thoughts, generating ways of life. And the description according to scripture is that they're futile in their minds. They're generating a life of futility. Be warned, be wise as you live among them. And listen, this world language, there is this world. If you have grown dull to that terminology, then you are not living wise and you are not heeding warnings. If you're not aware that the world in which you live is a hostile and corrosive environment for a Christian, that's what it is. It is against the purpose of God. It spiritually hates the things of God. It wants human beings to figure out how to live life based on individuality. This world loves individuality because it hates the collective purpose of God, that God has created all things for himself. It hates that. It will never want you to live for that. And you will bump into the ideas over and over and over again. And they are in our land and they are becoming more prominent in our land. This is a quote from Franklin Graham, just about a week ago, he says, hardly a day passes that I don't hear someone say, we are losing our country. We are losing our churches. 
while doomsday appears to be knocking at our door, let let me take you back to the early 1800s. Many think of it as the, the good old days, but history tells us that society, even then, was as bad as it could get at that time. John Marshall, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, wrote to President James Madison and said, the church is too far gone ever to be redeemed. Can you imagine what that guy would say today? When we examine why, we find that preachers had stopped preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and the people were not hearing God's word. Before I go on, I said, if you don't have the ability to hear God remind you, warn you, and give you wisdom, if those three words aren't dancing in your head right now, and you don't have coming to life inside of you a sense that, yeah, God has reminded me about my purpose recently. Uh, yeah, I have a healthy sense of the warning that God has put in my heart, in my mind. Wisdom from God is active in my soul. You have stopped hearing. Don't write these passages off like they don't apply to us. I'm not hearing God say those things. I'm just not hearing. And I need to hear those prophetic words where the prophet opens up his mouth and he first says, Hear! Listen! Posture yourself differently. Graham goes on and says, What changed? Christians began to diligently pray for revival. And the result was the second great awakening. When people's prayers stormed the heavens, when the Bible was opened in the pulpits and the word of God proclaimed by passionate preachers, the church was awakened from slumber by the Holy Spirit who moved in hearts, spreading revival throughout the heartland of America. So there's great hope, even in our day, that God would do that again. But, but let me just warn us, because I, I said this a few weeks ago. Discerning men, theologians, leaders in the body of Christ in our time, more and more are using the terminology to describe America as a post-Christian country. Post-Christian country. A country that it's no longer easy to find the influence of the ideas of God present in that culture. That's what that means. There was a day when, and this is going to be informing of us, there's a day when, when you know, we've been used to celebrating a sense of ease about being a Christian. You know, it was a work that God was doing in Jerusalem when he had appointed his people to live there, and that was their address, and great things were happening by God's hand. And there was a day when God withdrew his favor, and he kicked his people out, and, and he left a guy there named Jeremiah. And if you want to see what it looks like to live in a place that feels like God's done, read Jeremiah. Read, better, read Lamentations and get a sense for what it feels like when you live in a land, which by the way, Jeremiah was a man of God living in a land that felt like God had gone and left this place. And favor is not here. Defeats abound. Sinfulness and brokenness is all throughout the land. Listen, what if, what if that's the land? What if you and I are called to be a Jeremiah in the land in which God has said, hey, you know what you got used to is America, it will be America no more. Oh, I'm still at work, but I'm at work in a very different way here. And it will feel very different. And if you don't read your Bible, you don't have a category for that because you think everything's is, you know, a bed of roses all the time, right? God's at work, bed of roses. God's at work, bed of roses. Really? There were no roses in Jerusalem. There were smoking, black, burned out looking things all around. And God was at work. I don't know if some of us know what to do with that. If God ever turns the day in this country, 
to where it's a different agenda of God. We might be really, really shocked. But there are things happening in this country that are generating us to pay attention to the conditions in the land. So I, I, I've just chosen to limit this summer three hot topics I'm going to look at. I'm look at social media today. Uh, I think next week, if I can get through this today, um, we're going to talk about gender and homosexuality. And, and maybe not perhaps from the angle that you're thinking I'm going to come from. But I would be most concerned as to how this world views gender and homosexuality from the standpoint of how it views the authority of God. The right for God over his creation to say what his creation is to be. That's probably a bigger factor than most of what we're thinking about in those categories. Last thing is consumerism. This insidious mindset that has such a great influence upon the joy of a Christian. I think so many Christians are void of joy because consumerism is killing them. But let me just start with our first hot topic, considering social media. And, and I'm going to start with social media because I, I think it, it has this networking power in it. Social media, you know, I'm not going to get off into tons of the details of social media, but most of us, I think, know what social media is. You know, it's, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's Vine, it's Instagram, it's LinkedIn, it's Google+. I mean, I could just go on and on, and I don't even know all the things. But it's all these ways. It's, it's news feeds, it's uh, the blogosphere. It's all the ways that people link their thoughts together and expose one another to the access to one another's lives through electronic media that's in the world that you and I live in. Let me just start with a little bit of construct here. It's, it's social media. So let me just start with the word social for a second. What, what is social? What is society? The word social, according to the dictionary, is, means of or relating to communal living, right? Communal comes from the word of things having in common. Right? That's where we get the word community. So social has to do with things that we have in common. It means of or relating to human society and its modes of organization. Right? So this is where social media lands. It actually comes from a Latin word, socialis, which means companionship. So it's our, it's our keeping company with one another. And as you study society here in just a moment, when we take it apart and look at it live, it's an interesting challenge. But, but where does society get created? Because I know I'm going to come off and Evan's already preparing you guys to be blasted today by my uh, views on social media, which I'm going to try and be redemptive just for at least a second, as much as I can be. Um, but where does society come from? Because I don't want to give the misimpression that society is this horrible thing that has risen up anti-God. Society, this companionship thing, is a bad idea from the start. God's against it. Let's all be isolationist. Can I just tell you God's not an isolationist? Because God created society? The only individual that ever truly was an individual... God found fault with his individuality. Adam lives by himself in the garden, and God says what? It is not good that man should be alone. I will create a society. And he started off, first society was just a wife, 
a companion, suitable. And then into that family setting come children. So where do people come from? Well, they, they come into a small society, the family society. So even if we can't figure out where does social media fit in our world, where does culture fit in our lives, what, how much are we supposed to engage, not engage, et cetera, et cetera, so that we have God's wisdom here. Well, what's clear is God intended you and I to come into a social setting. Right? We, weren't, we weren't hatched on our own. We weren't dropped out of an airplane from another planet somehow. We came into a family. So you were intended to come into a setting where there would be people who would shape and influence whoever you were going to ever become. Mom and dad were ordained by God and then siblings around you. And then we see in scripture extended family as well. We're to play a major role of having life in common with you, companionship and influence into your world. So this is God's creation. And then as the earth is populated, families get surrounded by what I call a surrounding society. Another body of influence, right? In larger circle around you are people who are closer than way far off entities, but they're not your family. And for us, it's people sitting in this room with you today. It's church. They're not your family. But they're part of an influential society structure that's next in line around you. Your school system, you know, your learning values, you're being shaped by teachers and principals and when you go to school and those settings. And then you push out a little farther and you get into maybe a larger cultural society, right? Our culture. Things unique to our culture. We live in an American cultural society. We live in the Western world. We see things a certain way. There's not a lot, well, there's some things, but there's not a lot of ideologies that go real well with somebody who lives in an American suburb today versus somebody who lives in a tribal setting in Africa. Very different surrounding culture with values and Ideas that are being imparted to one another, very different. Very different than the Hindu in India who is living in, the, in, the, in third world conditions apart from an urban setting. Right? So there's society and then there's, then there's a larger society that we're all a part of. Right? Humanity, historic humanity. And there are things that we have in common with historic humanity and there are things that we just don't have in common with historic humanity. But this is, this is God's creation, society. Society speaks to each other. Society passes on ideas. Society influences one another. You and I couldn't answer the call to the Great Commission if there was not a society. So we make use of these for the sake of the gospel, but there's a lot of use going on. But here's what I want us to highlight here. Now put this in your outline. I think I did. Social media is a dramatic game changer in the concept of society. It drastically changes the source and volume of influence that is in an individual's life experience. Social media is a dramatic game changer. This is not just the next day and the next thing. It is a dramatic game changer in the concept of society. 
it drastically changes the source of influence and the volume of influence that is in an individual's life experience. Interesting research paper that Natalie Cooper wrote. She says, this research examines social media becoming the biggest platform for communication throughout the world and forever changing interpersonal communication and relationships. The effects of social media usage has on interpersonal relationships is changing the way the world population communicates and forms face-to-face relationships while decreasing human social and behavioral society. Skills, I'm sorry. With its new advancements in electronic technology progressing every day, its rising popularity in society and its constant continued use with that society, social media has become the biggest platform for communication throughout the world. The purpose of social media allows for one specific task to be executed efficiently and effectively in the easiest possible way, spreading a message. This is not a believer, by the way. This is just the world writing about the world. Spreading a message. Spreading a a message. Now, if you pay attention to scripture, messages matter. Words matter. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus Christ is the, the embodiment of ideas. He shows up in human life with a message. And he sends all of his people with a message. And the world comes back to your shoreline with a message. And it has installed a pipeline to reach us with its message. Spreading this new form of message, regardless of intent, opens the gateway for universal communication 24 hours a day. 365 days a year from any geographical location, changing the communication process indefinitely. With the world swallowing up this new means of communication and with social media usage progressively continuing to skyrocket, this new form of technology opens up a new channel of tightly woven interconnectivity and interactivity with individuals for the first time, forever changing the way the world population interacts, communicates, spreads its message, and ultimately forms relationships. Listen, if if you want to get your mind blown, study colonization, right? When England and European colonies were being exported all around the world and the transference of language and values, study that and see how long it took. And then study how quickly things change today. You will get your mind blown. What took hundreds of years to transfer around the globe can be done in a few years today. That's powerful. The messages that you've never heard of will be here tomorrow. And you never thought you'd ever entertain ideas from some Bhagwan who knows from India can now get published on the internet, can get popularized by Oprah, and they're sitting in your lap. Which, by the way, if you're an Oprah fan, that's where she's getting some of her material. From the Far East. Stuff that never would have made it here before. Stuff that 200 years ago nobody had to talk about. Nobody knew to even think about. 
That the assault on your ideas today is constant. It's a barrage of attacks in a way that 200 years ago, nobody had intercontinental ballistic missiles that could shoot those ideas that far. And they couldn't reach you. Today, they can reach you the second you sit in front of a screen and type a Google search. I mean, I do research on all kinds of stuff. And so I, I don't know what I was researching a couple of weeks ago. And it came up in Chinese and another one came up in Russian. I was getting stuff all over the place. I didn't know what I was looking for, but it gave it to me in Russian. The whole world at our fingertips. Well, here's what this does to us. Social media has tended to underexpose people to the influence of God-ordained critical social influences, right? God-ordained critical social influences like family, extended family, and church while overexposing people to the types of influence that God warns his people about the most. Game changer. It used to be that when you grew up in a rural setting with very little outside influence, just you and your family with a few ideas that had been around for generations and people sat down and read their Bibles and had went to church and farmed. And this was very limited input setting. Now, ideas are everywhere. Your exposure to them is everywhere. And family time and interaction, those kinds of God-ordained societal influences have become minimized. Sheridan Godin from ComputerWorld.com says, Another study out this week shows that while people are using social networks more to stay in touch with family and friends, the irony is the internet is diminishing the time that we actually spend with the people around us. Researchers report that an increasing number of people say their use of the internet, including social networking sites, is eroding the time they spend with their family. The percentage of people who say they spend less time with family members because of the internet nearly tripled from 11% in 2006 to 28% last year. Last year being 2008, I can only imagine what it is today. Similarly, the digital future report also showed that in the same time period, the time family members spend together each month dropped from an average of 26 hours to 17.9 hours a month. All right, so the family is losing its place in our societal influence. This thing that God instilled into family structures is losing its ground. God has always had a people called it a nation, calls it a church. So God has designed you as an individual to have family, societal structure, that's clear, and church societal structures in your life. If you're a Christian, you're never called to not have the church in your life. But today, it's getting harder and harder for people to be a part of churches. Interesting in this time period. Love it, Weems on churchleadership.com says, 10 years ago, worship attendance patterns showed little reason for concern. Things looked good. It appeared as if attendance had stabilized and that the pattern was uh, was continuing for a number of years. Then, following the surge in attendance for five Sundays after the 9-11 tragedy, five Sundays, right? Attendance began to decline and has not stopped yet. Beginning in 2002, attendance across the U.S., has declined in every year. Not all congregations have shown attendance declines, 
but all are probably feeling the influence of some of the larger cultural changes behind the general decline. So churches that have grown in attendance since 2001 have done remarkably well. And those whose attendance has remained stable have accomplished a great deal given the worship attendance recession underway. No one seems to know the reasons for the strong and consistent downturn. And he comes up with a few possible suggestions. Well, I'm not sure what he's reading, but I'm reading lots of people who say the social activity online is replacing the social engagement of people with people. And it's not just a church thing, although it is a church thing, right? You've heard us say this. We have become more inconsistent on Sunday mornings and in other settings where we seek to gather us together than ever. It it, it is, I have to say, one of the most frustrating things as a pastor that I've encountered in 21 years of pastoring. And it's all kind of washed ashore in the last three to four years. Never had this kind of challenge to gather our people together. But, you know, it's not just churches. And if you pay attention to this, you're noticing it. You may not just be taking notes. But if you'll take notes from now on, you'll see it all over the place. Um, Weddings. You guys who go to weddings. If you think back to weddings five and ten years ago, do you ever notice that used to be a lot more people at weddings? Maybe you're just thinking, well, maybe they didn't invite too many folks to their wedding. No, no. What we're finding is invite lots of folks. At least half of them aren't coming. I mean, some of you guys will know this because you'll, you'll try to coordinate a wedding here and you'll tell us we're expecting 300 people and, and so we want to have food for 300 people and, and we always warn you guys, don't waste your money. Don't do it. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're going to come. No, 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 they're not. (laughs) It's not because they hate you. (laughs) It's just they're up to here in life. They don't have time to come to your wedding. They'd like to. They don't have time. So whatever you're thinking is going to come, cut it in half, and you're going to be a lot closer than that. Uh, But that's true also for funerals. It's true for your small group meetings. Whatever you think is coming, cut it in half, and that's probably going to be a closer number than what you thought. It's true for the Girl Scouts, right? Fox News, headline, Girl Scouts launch recruitment campaign to halt membership drop. Overshadowing all the problems is the steady decline in membership, a trend also buffeting other national youth organizations. I I see this when I read stuff all over the place. All kinds of social gatherings can no longer gather people socially. But, you know, I find it interesting that while social media is increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing its activity, social gatherings is decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. And, you know, some of this is not rocket science. I mean, let's all be honest here. We like people to an extent. Does that work for you? Now, not everybody is equal in this, by the way. Let me just inform you. You're, you're sitting with people who are like people addicts. There are some people in the room here who can never get enough people. They can never schedule enough things. Their calendar is never too full. They always want to be with somebody, plan something, do something, play with somebody, plan something. But, but then there's others in here that that's not you, and you don't ever want it to be you. At some point, you would just like to have a break from people. You'd like for people to stop talking to you. You'd like to stop paying attention to what other people are saying. You'd just like to be left alone. 
That's not wrong either. We're just different. But you know, when you go on social media, you're, you're using some of the same part of the brain that you use when you're in social gatherings. So in social media, you're having to listen to somebody else. You're having to engage, say something, interact, go back and forth, have some thought. At some point, you'd like to be done with people. Sunday morning sounds like a good time spot available. My small group meeting this week sounds like a good time spot. I'm just so, I'm just so. But people don't sit down and figure out why are you so exhausted? You're working two jobs where you used to work one? Is that what happened? We moved to a farm and I suddenly find myself cutting the lower 40 every other day. I'm so tired. Can you help me with what's changed so much in your life in the last five years that's made you so tired? People are constantly interrupting you all day. I mean, I was... I don't respond to my devices. It's probably frustrating for my family because they try to reach me during the day. And if I'm in meetings, if I have somebody in my office, I don't respond. You know, they either need to blow the thing up or tell I'm on fire. Um, something like that needs to be said. Otherwise, it just sits there and vibrates. And I, I don't respond to it. Um, so I'm visiting with some family the other day and my thing's vibrating. And one of my family members is like, you, you going to get that? I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I drove all this way to be with you, actually. A novel idea, huh? I'm leaving all these people. They can stay where they are. Right, at some point, at some point, people are exhausting. I mean, your brain, it's, it's got emails going on. You, you join a conversation midway through. You got an update on a Facebook. You had no idea that person went to New Zealand. Oh my gosh, that, what? When did that happen? All of a sudden, you got New Zealand thoughts going on in your head. And oh, how did they do that? Could they even afford to do that, for goodness sake? I mean, right? I mean, this is why your brain is just busy going, right? You lay down at night and you check it one last time. Your brain races. Now you can't sleep and you're not getting enough sleep. You're tired. Listen, fatigue has set in. And don't think for a second that social media has not played a significant role in that. It has. And it's showing up in our lives. The result is diminishing time with others. Tim Challies, in his book on the digital world, says a study from the University of Stanford found that for every hour we spend on our computers, traditional face-to-face interaction falls by nearly 30 minutes. Well, you do the math for yourself and see what kind of impact that might be having in your own world. Right, well, we have received a pipeline through social media into our world. Have you considered carefully what's flowing through that pipeline? Right, let me just, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but let me just tell you what the Bible has to say about what's being pipelined from people. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We mentioned this verse a little bit earlier. It says, now this I say, and it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and testify in the Lord that you, you Christians, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, right? the people who don't know God, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous 
and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, can you, can you hear a warning in that? Did you hear the Bible just warn you? This is what's going on in the brain of the person who's sharing their message with you. This is what has sourced these ideas. Warning, be wise, and then a reminder. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Now, who's you here? Who's the us and them thing going on here? What's Christians who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God are no longer in this troubled category. They're in a different category. And Paul reminds them, you, however, you didn't learn Christ that way. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, you put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. All right, how many guys are getting a Twitter feed about somebody putting off their sinful desires? When was the last time you got a Twitter feed featuring this sinful, corrupt activity that used to be a part of my life is being put off, right? I don't, don't think that's what Beyonce is sharing with us. Uh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And then he goes into a bunch of practical life categories and says, listen, Let me remind you what's true about you and let me warn you and give you some wisdom as you entertain the pipeline from the sources of people who are fallen and they travel into your head and you've got to decipher what to do with them. Let me warn you. So social media comes to us and it's like a pipeline. And at the other end, something started this message. Something started this idea. Something made somebody say, I got to tweet this. I got to put a picture up. I got to share this with everybody. What, what made that thing post-worthy? What made this statement have to go viral to everybody? What was the source of that? Well, according to Ephesians 4, futility was the source of it. A darkened understanding. People who are confused about life. Life and lifestyles created out of people's alienation from God. Ephesians 4. They are alienated from God. They don't have a conscious awareness of the worth and beauty and righteousness of God. They are alienated from God. God has been evacuated from their life. They look at life and figure out how to do it. Without God. And then they tweet about it. And post it. And share it. Attitudes that are birthed in people's hardness of heart. Right? The Bible says this. That there's hardness of heart that generates a sense of attitude about how we feel about that political thing. Or how we feel about that stuff. Or those ideas. Or those people. Right? You, you, ever, you ever read the comments at the bottom of blogs and news items and news feeds? Reply. The little reply box. Whoo! We're going to get a load of hardness of heart. Man, there's some attitudes. And I'm talking about the Christian websites, quite honestly. So I, I, I would not want to meet some of these people. They are the most obnoxious human beings in the world. Claiming to be Christians, too. It's kind of interesting. 
the promotion of how to do life based on sensuality and greedy appetites for impurity. That's what that Bible passage says. And then they Twitter it and Facebook it and Instagram it and create followers. All right, do I have a highlight here? You want to see who the top 10 Twitter followers, people with the most Twitter? These are the top 10. You can't quite see number 10 is actually uh, Justin Timberlake. So you got Katy Perry, almost 54 million followers. Justin Bieber, close behind. Barack Obama, YouTube, which could be all over the place, Lady Gaga, wow, Taylor Swift, Britney Spears, Rihanna, Instagram feed, and Justin Timberlake. That's your top 10 pipeline for Twitter followers. These are the people who have the most people listening to them who have things to say, apparently. Top 10 Facebook likes include Shakira with over 87 million, Rihanna with 86 million, Eminem with 84 million, Michael Jackson. (laughs) Wherever he is, apparently he has access to Facebook. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? And then, you know, the Simpsons. Yeah. Top 10. Simpsons. Uh, Instagram top 10 includes Justin Bieber, Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, Beyonce, Miley Cyrus, and the rest of Kim Kardashian's family are all the top 10 Instagram folks. I just, I mean, just zero in on the source of the pipeline. These folks are just doing life, doing whatever comes next. Uniquely doing life. Obviously, this represents a very strange portion of our society. But we're strangely curious about them as well. So we tune in and listen. And they share ideas. They share what they do next. They woke up in the morning and had a value system today to do this. And to go here and to feature that. To post this because that's cool. That's interesting. That's valuable. That's funny. Everything that gets posted has a certain value statement about it. And so that's, that's where these folks are coming from. Now, let me just qualify something here carefully, if I can. Um, I'll highlight these folks, and, and they're, they're interesting and, and unusual, etc. I'm, I'm not trying to stand up here, and I'm not trying to, to get you as a Christian to sound this way. I'm not trying to stand up here and say, And I'm better than these people. And you as Christians are better than these people. Um, For the most part, we are just like these people. Just like them. I want to be really careful how we lift our noses at folks. Because the only thing that separates us from them is not something about us at all. It's something about God. The mere fact that the Bible does speak about an us and a them. So don't get offended because there's an us and a them being discussed. The Bible creates an us and a them. Right? Hey, you don't live like them. That's what Ephesians 4 is saying. Right? But it doesn't grant you status to feel like, well, I qualified. That's how I got to be one of the us. Studied 
pulled myself up by my bootstraps, determined that I was not going to be like that. Stopped it, turned over a new leaf. That's me. That's right. That's why we're in the us group and they're in the them group. Um, You know, I lived at least a, a portion long enough in my life to recognize what it was like to have a mind that was alienated from God, that was futile in its thinking, off its leash. And I did some, some dumb things, destructive things, selfish things, hurtful things. I had ideas. I, well, there was no social media back then, so I didn't have anybody to tell about my ideas, but I had ideas. They were not good ideas. And then for, for reasons that escaped me, God decided in 1979 to show up in my life, in his mercy, and to rescue me from one more day of that. Now, that doesn't say anything great about me. It just says something great about the mercy of God. And I'm 35 years later. And I find that sometimes I still think like this. I still think about my life like I'm alienated from the life of God. I think in categories of futility, right? If you're a Christian and you wrestle with doubt and fear, well, then you've got living in you the idea that you're alienated from the life of God. It's still in you. It's still in me. And you know what's even worse for me than for the folks on the Twitter feeds? is I've got 35 years of staring at God under my belt, and yet I can still figure out a way to be afraid. So I think that says something worse about me than it does about some of these folks, quite honestly. I was having summer Bible jam I'm doing with, my, with Luke and Jack, my older boys, and we were reading through some things together and sharing just about different passages that were having different impacts on our soul. And, and I... Share with them just my own struggles with fear of being able to provide for them, provide for my family as a father. You look into their life, you look down the road, you look at what you have available and resources for college and all the things that they need. And, and when that becomes weighty enough and I become irritated enough by it, now they don't, they don't figure this out unless I tell them, hey, you know that other day when I was really obnoxious to you? It's because I was being smashed by fear of, I don't know if I can make all this work for my seven kids. Oh, really, Keith? What? Why? Because you're alienated from the life of God? You, you must be thinking that because if God were the source of all of your life, you could just roll over and go back to sleep, dude. So can we, can we, can we not overlook the fact that there, we got a lot in common with Katy Perry? And if there's anything to credit in our lives, it is the grace of God that has shown up and has rescued us, and it's still seeking to rescue us from this kind of thinking, right? So be careful with how we interact with people who are in conditions that really we have an experience category for ourselves. But I, can I just inform us? All right, this is the pipeline of society that's coming to us. Do these scriptures, I think I put them in your outline, do these scriptures qualify? to be appropriate in the realm of social media 
Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Is there any, any help for that? Well, I'm not hanging out with these people. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's true. I mean, you're not riding in the limo with Justin Bieber. But he's letting you know what he's thinking and you're reading it. I'm, I'm, I think that does qualify for some level of companionship. Because companionship is sharing things that have in common. And the most important companionship and influential thing are the messages of our lives. The content of what we believe is the most important thing we share with others. So whether you sit in the limo next to him or tune into his feed, you're getting to hang out with Justin Bieber. Genesis 13, 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Does this verse inform us at all? This is a man who thought it'd be kind of interesting, entertaining, cool, somewhat, to live in the valley, not in Sodom. I want to live in Sodom because I'm aware Sodom's horrible. Lot knew that. I'm just going to live kind of in the extended outward edge of the suburb, maybe the North Shore, you know, not Bourbon Street, but the North Shore. All right, just, just be aware of what people are made of and what you and I are made of. Because when God has to come and rescue Lot, because God's judgment is now going to fall on Sodom, he has to go pull him out of the city. He's no longer in the suburbs. See, at some point he just wanted to tune into the ideas. But then later on, those ideas drew him in more and more and more to them. Right? Does, do these passages mean anything to us when we Twitter and listen to and follow? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good morals. Right? Don't think you get exempt from that by keeping people at a distance by trapping them inside your iPhone. Well, I don't let them out. They stay in there. Uh, no, but their ideas are being let out, and that's the most powerful thing about them. 2 Corinthians 6 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What what accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Keep that in mind. Reminder. That's a reminder verse. It reminds you, you are a temple of the living God. Therefore... That reminder serves to inform the kinds of partnerships that you create in your life. The kind of likes and followerships that you do, right? This is a social media world. I don't know what you were doing with this verse 10 or 15 years ago. Probably not this, but this is a new world. These verses need to mean something in the new world where people connect socially in a different way than they did when these verses were written. When it talked about bad company here, it meant you're sitting next to that person. When it talks about bad company now, it could mean somebody in Tibet that you sit next to mentally. 
and you open your ideas to their ideas. And bad company still corrupts good morals. Listen, don't let the social media world escape the Bible. Can I just say that that's what I think is happening for a lot of people in social media? Who they are online is escaping the Bible. They're not the same person they are this morning. They're liking stuff, promoting stuff, and hailing stuff, and featuring stuff. And you'd never, you'd never talk about that in here. All right, when I conclude the message, I want to introduce you to the, to the fact that you and who you are online are the same person. They're the same person. Stop treating them like they're two different people. There's not, a, there's not a parallel universe here called social media. It's just a different form of human contact. Do not create the idea in your head that you're somebody over there and you're somebody else here. You are the same person, and that same person with that resume will stand before God and give an account for every word. Don't make that mistake. But I very much believe social media is almost like void of biblical application. Let's not bring the Bible to bear on social media. Let's just make it happen in real world situations. Okay, social media is the real world. A couple of quick thoughts for you. How about social media and time? Social media and the use of your time. All right, I I know I'm... I I get requests from folks, hey, love for you to be LinkedIn. Uh, You'll notice if you've sent me those, I don't respond to them. Um, You know, I I don't have a Facebook page. Okay, let me just clarify something. I, I don't have those things, not because I think they're morally wrong. Not because I think you're wrong for having them. Not because I would think that I'm wrong for having them. Okay, this is the simple reason why I don't do social media. I don't have the capacity for it. I can't keep up with real life right now. (laughs) Maybe later I'll be able to do that, but I can't keep up with real life. There are a bunch of people in my life and a bunch of people in my life, and there are, I mean, emails about as social media as I get. And quite honestly, I can't stand email. Because email imports to my brain 200 problems that I'm wired to want to fix things. So as soon as problems come to me, I go to work thinking about, hmm, hmm, hmm. But over here is another problem going, ooh, pick me. Wait, pick me. And there's another one over here with its arms folded going, great. You're going to think about that one while I've got issues? And then there's another email, another ding, and another thing coming. And it just... So if I had to get reminded of Facebook activity and Facebook status and, you know, whatever you're doing in the LinkedIn world, I don't even understand LinkedIn. Whatever's going on in that world, I I just couldn't do it. Now, I don't know if that's true for anybody else but me, and I can't make that call for you. But you do need to be asking yourself that question. Can you handle doing social media at all at the level that you do it? Can you handle it? Is it, is it making use of your time in a way that you probably shouldn't be making use of it that way? You need to wrestle through this. I won't quote this whole quote here, but interesting article that talks about our limitations, our finite creativity. Despite growing insight into neuroscience and the physical limitations of our consciousness, we have a tendency to ascribe limitlessness to our minds or to the number of friends, that is. Yet it's clear 
that there are physical limits to our minds. And this guy did a study. He was, a, he was an anthropologist, did a study on how big of a circle could you have in your life of people. Right? He's a British anthropologist, doesn't have any claims to being a believer. But he raised this issue and he said, what if we were similarly hardwired to effectively manage a limited number of personal relationships? So this guy created what's called a Dunbar number. And if you're a sociologist, you've come across this. The Dunbar number is how many, what's the maximum number of people that an individual can have in their life meaningfully? So he, he researched this by studying primates, and he looked at what little tribes of primates looked like and how they interacted, and he, he figured out, based on brain size, how many people, and he started to accurately predict social structures for all these primates. When he got to human beings, he predicted that the max number on average for people is 150. 150 people. And then he turned around and said, and for intimate circle of people, 12. All right. I don't know if those numbers are right or not. But how about all of us just agree with this concept? There is a max number. Can we at least go there? <laughs> Infinite people in our life at some point is not a good thing. Right? Social media is creating infinite people. He finishes this article saying Facebook, Twitter, even regular old email are all forcing us into novel areas of social networking. We aren't living in villages or tribes or bands. We're running into childhood friends from 30 years ago. We're getting text messages from 20 different acquaintances on a single day. Are are we equipped to handle this sort of thing? Are we negatively impacting the quality of our social interactions? Are we spreading ourselves too thin? have, Have you stopped to do a little bit of an inventory to ask yourself that question? What are you saying no to with your time in order to say yes to exposing yourself to the social media world and all of its information? And, and do you need to think about that differently? Got a quick thought on social media and stirring up sinful comparisons. Anybody have a problem with that? Or maybe just hostile judgments of people on social media. Here's a person who made a comment about just getting rid of their Facebook. He says, I deleted my Facebook about a month ago because it was becoming more stressful than fun. I felt like it it made me feel like I had to keep up with the Joneses and compared myself to people from my past. I realize that's not necessarily the problem of Facebook in general, but I have been feeling so much better since I deleted it. There's a reason that so many of my Facebook friends weren't still my friends in real life. (laughs) I'd rather stick to real life personalities. (laughs) Um, Listen, if you're a person, right, I, I realize, and I, I'm doing this on purpose because I think it is a hot topic. I think it's, it's the societal world that we live in, and I think it's escaping the application of Scripture. Right, so if you, if you went to a mall and you sat down in the mall and everybody who passed by, you compared yourself to them or criticized them, compared and criticized, compared and criticized, and that's what you did. What do you do in the afternoons? I'll go to the mall. I sit on the bench and I compare myself with other people. Some of them I just envy, others I just loathe. You do that every day? Oh, yeah, for a few hours. Every day. Always at the mall? Well, you know, anywhere there's public people. Would you encourage people? That's, that's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, heck, I don't know. Maybe you ought to do that a few more hours. Oh, I got an idea. Here, take this home with you. 
it's, it's got a constant feed. <laughs> if that's a problem for you, I mean, if you go on Facebook and, and you're either feeling like your life stinks, your life is nothing but trouble, your life is not a highlight reel, your life you never get to, how come those people, and then you compare, feel sorry for yourself. If you're on Facebook feeling sorry for yourself or feeling angry at others, should you still be on there? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I'm just telling you, we're installing all kinds of weird, normal stuff in our life these days. If that's the effect Facebook has on you, can you just, hey, walk out of here with some good news today. Facebook's not required to get you into heaven. Just wanted you to know. Just wanted you to know. You can set it down and there's no condemnation in Christ. Really, you'll be fine. Listen, if it's not producing good fruit in your life, don't, don't keep it there, right? The time's not bad. If your attitude's not bad, if it's, if it's giving you some bad theology, let me just wait one note about bad theology. Well, no note about bad theology. Bad theology is bad theology and it's out there. What's much more common is what I call secondhand smoke theology. It's where, and this is, these are well-intended Christians. These are some of us on staff, some of the pastors could be easily guilty of this. It's where in our inquiry to know God, we subscribe to really cool, awesome blogs and writers and authors and pastors so, hey, I mean, I, I love what John Piper has to say. I benefit from it greatly. Um, visit stuff electronically to get that. Maybe some of you guys are Gospel Coalition fans and you're visiting. You've got sites that you go to and blog feeds, etc. Right, let me just warn you about something that's pretty stinking important. At some point, your 24 hours is getting used up. You've got a little slice of it that you hopefully are protecting for you to get around God. Let's suppose you take that little slice and you devote it to blog reading. Every day you blog read. Every day you blog read. Let me just tell you, if you're subscribed to the right blogs, you're getting some great stuff that that guy hopefully got from God. The only problem is you're not learning to get it from God. You're learning to get it from somebody else who got it from God. And that's not wrong. If that was wrong, you shouldn't be here this morning. Right? You're getting an hour's worth of 15 hours from me. Right, so 15 hours of prayer, study, no, yes, this senses God, what do you want to say? You're getting the, the quick take on that. And that, so that's God. That's the gift of teacher. God wants us to have that in our lives. But if that's all you ever get, you, you can be a Christian for 10, 20 years, and you, don't, you wouldn't know the voice of God if he hits you in the side of the head with a, with a board. You only know the voice of men hopefully speaking truth that God has said. And yet God has, through the cross, reconciled you to himself. God wants to intimately speak and communicate and commune with you. The great accomplishment of the cross was the return of the presence of God to you in your life. Don't turn it into a secondhand exchange where the only thing you do is get really great ideas from somebody else who spent time with God. So you might need to adjust your social intake there. Right, last thing, last thing. I know I'm exhausting you. One reminder on the occasion of entering the land of social media. And if I wrote this out, if I didn't write it out, I'm going to read it to you. Here's a reminder. Social media and the Great Commission. 
Is there a place, and I have to ask this to my own soul, is there a place to simply recognize that social media is quite simply another form of social setting? Is that what it is? I think I'd have to admit that. A place where human contact and exchange takes place. If so, how can social media become a place for gospel-proclaiming, God-exalting communication? If that's what social media is, it's the modern version of societal exchange of messages and ideas and life. If that's what it is, how can it then be used to proclaim the gospel? Because I'm going to tell you two verses, and I'm going to ask you whether these two verses serve as a filter for everything you do on social media. Because these two verses, if you're a Christian, if these two verses don't mean anything to you, you should wrestle with whether you're really a Christian. But Jesus Christ says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, if you are my disciple, go into all the world and make disciples, proclaiming the gospel to them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. All right, those are marching orders for everybody who's a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you live underneath that umbrella. You are to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're looking for a life verse, this probably would be my life verse. Verse 9, you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the glories or excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. All right, that's a reminder verse. That tells me who I am. That tells me who I am when you come talk to me after the service. That tells me who I am when I'm at a traffic light and there's somebody doing that I don't particularly care for. I am in that moment to proclaim the glories of him who has called me out of darkness. By his amazing grace, I have been called out of darkness. And everywhere I find myself now, I have the opportunity to proclaim the invisible God into this fallen world. Hopefully I do that with my wife. Hopefully I do that with my children. Hopefully I, I do that with strangers. Hopefully, you do that on your social media interactions. Do you? Or has social media become a feast of something else besides the opportunity for your life to proclaim the greatness of God through it? I've got to be honest. There is opportunity for that in social media. So I'm going to have to be okay with the world of social media. Because it can proclaim the glory of God. But does that filter your photos? You're about to post something. Does it filter that? Right? Is there something that says, does this proclaim the glory of God? Does this help me follow it up with the gospel that I'm called to go into all the world with? Or, or what if I post this and then I talk about the gospel, I'm going to look like a schizo. You're about you were about this yesterday, and now you're about this Jesus guy. Okay, I guess everybody who's about the Jesus guy is about that too. And we've installed weirdness into the church. When you comment, when you like stuff, liking stuff is a reinforcement. It's a value statement. Somebody posts something, you like it. Why'd you like that? Did you like it because it shows forth the glory of God? Well, then by all means, like it. 
But what if, it, what if it declares people who've abandoned God? What if it declares Ephesians chapter 4? What if it's from the mind of futility? What if it is a life alienated from God? What if it declares that you can have the good life and you don't need God to be in your life? What if it declares that? You still liking it? See, listen, this is the reality of our lives. I know we're suburban American Christians, but everybody here is on assignment as a missionary in this world. You are a missionary in this world. And strangely enough, social media lets you go be a missionary to third world settings. You can go all over the world in a social media setting. And you can proclaim the glory of God through that setting. Listen, some of you... well, I, I don't have a whole lot of information here. So some of you right now, you, you're, you're safe. You're thinking I'm talking about you. This, I'm so ignorant in this category. I'm only talking about you if somehow some human being came and told me something about whatever you posted. Because I just don't see it. And if I ever get a Facebook account, you probably don't want me as your friend. <laughs> if you ever hear that I've got a Facebook account and you don't want to friend me, I, I'll understand. But the question is... You know, if I took your Facebook page and stuck it up here right now, this morning, and what you like, and what you promote, and what pictures you put on, and what value system you represent, would, would you be happy for all of us to view that this morning? Because if you'd be a little bit hesitant, what you've done is you've created two versions of you. There's the real world you, and then there's the cyber world you. And you've detached the two of them. But the cyber world you is ideas, values. It's, it's the stuff that God wants you to give an account for. Strangely enough, God won't need your feed to remind you of what you've stood for in this world. You have a chance to stand for something. This morning, I want to conclude this morning by some of us thinking for a moment. Would, would you like to lead your computer avatar to Christ this morning? You know what I mean by your computer avatar, your, your persona online, your social media person, who you are. When you respond, people say things and you fill in the little feed at the bottom and you respond. Your attitude goes to work. Maybe this morning you'd like to kneel down, have an out-of-body experience, turn to that person and say, hey, your behavior is really unacceptable. Some of the things that you promote, oh my gosh, some of the pictures that you put up, wow. I'm shocked. Just tell yourself that. And then lead that person to Christ. Lead them to live their life for the glory of God. Every time you log on, post something, live online because there's people who can hear the message that's in your life. Let's stand up together. Father, I with limited observation, Lord, I believe that for many in the body of Christ today, life 
in the invisible world of social media somehow doesn't get the vigorous application of scripture that life in the real world gets. But yet, Lord, our world has changed dramatically. There is social exposure. There is the exchange of ideas. There is the presentation of life being made. As we live in any setting, whether we're at work, at home, at a stoplight, in a mall, in a church, Lord, in all those places, we have the privilege, Lord, the mind-blowing privilege of making known the invisible God to this world. Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, as our society has chosen to back away from human contact and to embrace electronic contact, Lord, that you would make our messages sharp and effective and clear, focused, celebrating the realities that our kingdom is not of this world. We are awaiting a savior from heaven who put on righteousness, who lived a glorious life, who intervened in our sin, took our punishment upon himself to rescue us out of futility, rescuing us from futility and giving us life. Lord, we are living amongst the people who are communicating futility, loving futility, lost in futility, promoting futility. And Lord, we have been rescued out of it. Would you make us a people with a message for this world and its futility. Let it be clear, Lord. Let it be effective. Let it be loving. Let it be a representation of you. And Lord, let it be online. Let it be in social contexts that aren't inside buildings or in places where we live, but they're in other people's lives. Lord, I I pray, Lord, let revival, let revival hit in social settings that are online. Lord, let us be aware that when we put images before our eyes and we are about to put images before others' eyes that we are sobered by this world that we live in and we are launched and reminded of the purpose that we have in this world to live as salt and light, redemptively touching everything we can come in contact with. Whether it's just with words on a page or with our hands and our feet in our lives. Lord, in all these things we pray.